What is the most used man-made material on earth? You guessed right, it's concrete. Look around, it's everywhere. Sidewalks, driveways, foundations, floors you stand on, and even entire buildings are made out of concrete. So why don't we discuss it more? In each episode of Concrete Logic, we will explore one concrete-related topic with the help from industry professionals that are shaping the future of the trade. We'll talk with suppliers, contractors, architects, engineers, specialists, and even some proponents of competing materials about their views of concrete and their vision of its future. And welcome to another episode of the Concrete Logic Podcast. And today I got one of my favorite guests returning. Robert Higgins is back on the show. He is the flooring concrete consultant specialist. I don't know how else to explain what Robert does. He's like a mad scientist, the mad chemist of concrete. But anyways, so just to remind folks how this works, the podcast if you get some kind of value out of the, our discussion today with Robert, I ask you to do one of three things, or you could do all three things. Actually, you should do all three things. The first thing you could do is share this podcast with a colleague. If you get some value, you learn something, what Robert's sharing today, and I guarantee today you'll learn something from Robert. You should share the podcast with somebody. The second thing is you go to the ConcreteLogicPodcast.com website, and if you go to the homepage and look at the bottom right-hand side of the homepage, there's a little microphone there. You can hit that microphone, and you can leave me a message, and you can either give me a topic or a guest suggestion or just give me feedback on what you think about the podcast. That is very helpful. And then the last thing you can do is uh, back at the homepage, up upper right-hand uh, corner of the homepage, there's a donate button. Click on that donate button, and you can give the podcast any amount you want. And any amount is appreciated, so don't worry about what you send in. Whatever you think, uh, what the value of what you learn from this podcast is, just just put it in there, and then you get listed as a producer for the next episode that's released. So your name's attached to the next new episode, which I think is pretty cool. And you can put it on LinkedIn and tell everybody you're a producer of the Concrete Logic podcast, and I'll back you up. Robert, let's, let's talk about old concrete. And there seems to be an issue with old concrete. And with, we're going to solve that mystery today. So you want to get us started? Okay, you got it. It's really interesting because it's almost a year ago today where I was, uh, was invited to go speak at, in front of these, this installation group over in San Leandro. And <clears throat> we went through the normal education presentation where I presented and then the concrete side of things. And then they came in and how to do moisture testing. <clears throat> but in the question and answer session, that's when things got really interesting. Because uh, one of the installers, you could really sense the frustration because everybody's head was nodding. Yeah, when he's asking this question, he said, why is it we have so many problems with older concrete that we don't seem to have with newer concrete, even though uh, older concrete with the methods that we use appears to be drier? And I said, well, unfortunately, that's to be expected. And it's caused by uh, a condition that 
we're all missing because we're all taught. And I was taught and I had to unlearn because you have to unlearn to learn, especially in this in this discipline, that moisture migrates from the bottom to the top. The underside of concrete is normally cooler than the top side of the concrete. So moisture does not move from cool to warm. It, warm, it moves from warm to cool. So what we've been taught violates the second law of thermodynamics. So I dug in and I, and I wanted to find out what caused that. And what happens when you have the top layer of concrete that's warmer, especially when it gets older, it starts collecting these little particles in there, these hygroscopic particles that like water. But it's not doing much in the way of anything, except that the warmer temperature makes these things more active. So it moves to where it's more active. This is my this is migration of particles is caused by diffusion. It's not moisture migration. We need to get that out of our vernacular, because at, if we keep using moisture migration, we lose the whole concept and the mechanism of what's causing this damage. And I said, "Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to go out, go go too get too technical for you." He said, oh, "No." He goes, "No, go ahead." I said, "So what happens when you?" Especially, this happens mostly when you're moving old flora coating, doesn't it? And they lit up. They said, yeah, that's what happens. I said, well, that's because all this stuff's collected. But once you grind off or remove that surface, you all those salts in there are now exposed to a new moisture source, which is the air. So in a way, all these salts, because some of those salts in the concrete have, have a greater attraction for moisture than a calcium chloride test. So Envision it as being a calcium chloride test upside down and inside the concrete. It's pulling moisture from the air. So you're collecting moisture that way. I said, well, how do we get rid of it? I said, well, you, you, the, the best way I've found is just to grind it off. There's other combinations of methods, but it depends on how old the concrete is, how bad the surface of the concrete is. There's some other things you need to look at. But I'm more than happy to I'll work with you on that. And they've given me some calls, and I've given them some advice. But they, and they were a little skeptical because it was something that was contrary to almost everything they were taught. But not three months later, the concrete meter company went out to go show them how the concrete meters work. So they were out in their warehouse, and the warehouse was in excess of 40 years old. It was 40, 42 years old, somewhere in there. So they took an area of the, uh, of the concrete because they had a curing compound on it. They, they, before they took the curing compound off, they're showing... When I will do a moisture reading, it was 1.9%. What's very low. So, anyway, they ground off the curing compound. They did another moisture test. It was 1.9%. Remained the same. So, they left to go to a different area as they were discussing different aspects. And they came back to the same area. Not 15 minutes later, they put the meter back down. It was 4.3%. Now, what's so startling about that? is that moisture meter averages the first three quarters of an inch. That is a lot of water that's come into that very top surface to average out at a 4.3% over three quarters inch of the concrete. That's a lot of water that concrete's picked up. They were shocked. And they said, wow. So they called me and they said, this is exactly what happened. I said, I couldn't have designed it better if I had to show you how to do it. And unfortunately, they didn't take pictures because they were so startled. Nobody was expecting it to be that uh, dramatic, but that's what they're seeing. And what would have happened that the normal course of business is you'll grind it off, you let it vent. And that's what I was taught as well. You let it vent. No, it doesn't vent. It absorbs moisture. 
It's the other way around. It starts picking it up. So what would have been the assumption when you tested the next day? Well, look at the moisture that came from the concrete. No, it did not come from the concrete. It came from the ambient conditions. The ambient conditions are the, the key portion of all the moisture pickup in virtually every flooring failure I've seen. It's very rarely is it from other sources. And if it is, it's in an isolated location. You can really tell the difference because when, it's at, when there's an aggregate condition, it's coming from the ambient conditions. But when it's just in spots, well, there's something like a broken pipe there, or something else is involved, or you, or you got the watering where the concrete's permeable and it's coming in from the side. But with the concrete itself, almost all the moisture originates from the ambient conditions. And as I've had the installers start doing time of installation testing, where they start looking at this, and this added another element to that, test it before you move, remove the, the last bit of adhesive or the curing compound. Test it then, and test it immediately after, and test it uh, a half an hour later. If you get a moisture pickup, you know you have a dew point condition. Now, they, they said, well, it's not atmospheric dew point because it's not 100% relative humidity. I said, therein lies the problem. We're not taught this correctly. And I really have an issue with a lot of these certification bodies because they don't even know to test, to teach this. What you look for it, with these materials that are collecting at the surface, you have what's called ionic dew point. Their dew point's well below 100% relative humidity. It can be 50% relative humidity, it can be 75%, it can be 80%, but it will be lower than 100%. So this will actively pick up moisture and pull it into the concrete surface, and it gets saturated. That's your dew point. That's an ionic dew point that is not being taught, and is it is the main mechanism for these for damage, especially in older concrete. So when I've had installers doing this and testing for this, the installers I've worked with they've stopped having moisture claims. Now, why are you we conducting these tests where nothing is getting better? 20 years ago, when they're conducting tests, so, oh, you're, the calcium chloride tests are wrong, so let's go to relative humidity. That'll improve everything. Because if, if the testing is so accurate, why are we still having problems? Well, the problems since then have tripled. It's now a $3 billion a year issue with floors. It's tripled. Okay, so I'm going to ask the same question. If RH is so accurate, why do the moisture issues triple? Well, people are more aware of it. No, they're not more aware of it. The water doesn't care what we think. But we're losing the, the foundation and, the, and basically the basics of what's going on with the concrete. If we understood this and every installer started taking this on, and uh, preferably I'd like to see uh, the inspectors doing this because it should be, uh, there should be no skin in the game in this thing. I don't think anybody with skin in the game should be doing this, but that's my personal opinion. But I think every installer should do a time of installation testing because you will catch things at the beginning, middle, and even towards the end of the installation. I did this a few years ago when I was consulting for a large adhesive company. They called me and they had a three-story building. And three-story building, they did moisture tests and they were puzzled because the on-grade slab had the lowest average moisture content. The second story slab has slightly higher. The third slab had at least slightly higher. I said, well, the building isn't conditioned, is it? I said, no. Uh, how'd you know that? I said, because 
uh, when you have that kind of a, a pattern, it's called the stack effect. As a warm air rises, it holds more moisture and it hits that cold concrete, and concrete is more moisture to absorb. Oh, well, this consultant came in and they said we had to put this uh, moisture mitigation system on. It's going to delay the project by three to four months. It's going to cost almost a million dollars. I said, well, you don't need to do that. The only moisture mitigation you're going to need to do is use floor fans and use a concrete meter. So how are we going to do that? And I said, well, take your infrared thermometer. And I gave them this instructions. So they put a line of fans up. They blew it. And they let it go for about 45 minutes to put the meter back down. It was low enough to start installing the floor. I said, now you follow the fans. Push the fans ahead of you. So these are always ahead of you. Keep the air circulation going in the room, not blowing directly on the concrete. But keep the circulation going in the room. And he started following that. 300,000 square feet. It has now been almost 11 years, and there's been no failures. So they didn't lose the three months, and they didn't lose spend a worthless $900,000 for a moisture mitigation that would have been a success because they didn't know any better. They were curing a problem they didn't really have. And that's the problem we're having with this entire moisture issue with, with flooring. We're, we're curing problems we don't really have. They're just environmental issues. If we deal with the environmental issues and you learn the fundamentals and, you, and the installer learns how to test, which is really easy because you get instant reaction, instant uh, results and instant reactions. You can catch anything you want to catch. So that's why the the handful of installers I work with, they're not having issues. So this one installer in, in Florida, they have six offices. They had monthly issues. They only have one a year now. There's the goal. Yeah. And that, that's why we have to yep. address older concrete differently because we're dealing with a different animal. Concrete changes with age. Because there's even this big thing to do with, with what's called hysteresis, which I'm not going to go into. But they have determined that concrete, as it ages, will take on different characteristics. And they said it is not applicable for other areas of concrete in a different environment. It's the history of that concrete that dictates what is going to happen to it. So we have to basically compartmentalize where we take each condition, each site condition, as it sits as a unique issue. When we do that, we can start picking this up. Then we stop making assumptions. Yeah, because that issue with the concrete that you're explaining and how moisture accumulates on the surface based on the environment is not... It, doesn't apply just to concrete, right? So you got to look at also acclimating flooring adhesive and whatever floor you're putting on or whatever product you're putting on, right? I'm so glad you did that because most floors are not acclimated correctly. They'll bring them in and say, oh, yeah, we left it in there for 24 hours. The hard goods, the dry goods may have acclimated, but your wet goods may not have. There's very few things you could do to sabotage your job worse than a warmer concrete with a cold adhesive and warm air, because now you're tracking moisture from the warm air and from the warm concrete. You're sandwiching this otherwise good adhesive with bond breakers on both sides by attracting water to it. So yeah. the acclimation uh, is really important, and you can actually create your own moisture issue just by having the adhesive that's too cold. What's the, the proper practice for that? You were explaining how the fellow was 
moving fans around with the concrete. We understand what we need to do for the surface of the concrete, make sure it's in a, a proper condition before we put on whatever we're putting on adhesive or polishing or whatever a product that we're putting. I guess that would apply to like epoxy and things yeah. like that. Yes. We know how to treat the concrete, the old concrete. What should we be doing with the, the adhesive and the flooring products the, as well? The adhesive and flooring has to be brought in and it needs to be acclimated. You can take something as simple as an infrared thermometer and, and test the flooring material and test the adhesive. If it's too cold, don't install it. Now, there are ways to monitor this, so make sure that where somebody's in a hurry, I'm, I'm making a presentation to some of these manufacturers where they actually have these devices that you can put on the adhesive that can show what the progression was and, and the temperature and humidity it was exposed to. When you bring it in, it will actually sound an alarm if they try to install the adhesive before it's ready. Because a lot of times they're introducing their own issues into the uh, environment and everybody's saying, well, where'd this moisture come from? Because it's not an issue now and, um, well, it must be a defective adhesive. Well, you can't recreate what you did. It's not possible. So if we do this on the front end and these devices, they actually, they're 5G and they can go Bluetooth and all that. So at the job site and even remotely, they can keep track of this to make sure that they're not installing a, a, a product that's out of spec for the conditions. You know, the, technology, we're just not using it. So do you want the the same temperature as the ambient temperature where you're applying it to avoid the moisture from accumulating? Yeah, because you want it to be at least as warm as a concrete. Okay. Or slightly warmer because, again, remember, mantra, moisture moves from warm to cool. If you're not creating a cooler s surface, you're not going to be attracting water. But if it's warmer than the concrete, would there be water accumulating between the adhesive and the concrete, pulling out of the adhesive? Because no, actually, be pushing it. Because sometimes when you're going on a, for sometimes when you're going on a, like a really warm surface or something, you can get gas bubbles and all that. Because again, you're mm -hmm. putting a, a colder material onto a hot surface. What you don't ever want to do is put something cold on a hot surface or warmer surface. What you want to do is you want to have it at least within a couple degrees of each other, not enough to really attract moisture. If anything, you want the yeah. same temperature, possibly slightly warmer, even the ambient conditions of the room. And that's the problem, is the larger the adhesive container, the longer it takes to warm it up because water is a very poor conductor of heat. But the upside is once you warm it up, it takes just as long to cool it back down. So what you want to do is you want to get it in there as early as possible. Adhesive should be the first thing to arrive at the job site and keep it warm. Get it to get it acclimated, get it warm, bring in your dry goods, because your dry goods, uh, a lot of times, th those will be conditioned very quickly, generally within the first day. But what you want to do is you want to make sure and, and take a snapshot. Take your infrared thermometer and make sure that you take a temp uh, temperature reading of the concrete, Take a temperature reading of the room. Take a temperature reading of your dry goods and your adhesive. You all you want all of those to be as close in temperature as possible. And nobody's okay. doing that. The warehouse example that you gave, were, were they putting down flooring on top of old concrete and and 
what were they doing? Oh, they were just, they were actually, this is the reason why they didn't take any pictures, darn it, because they were just showing how to use a moisture meter. They weren't planning on putting up, down a flooring material, but they had been screwed because they would have mm-hmm. done what everybody else did, because they would not have tested afterwards. They would have ground the concrete, let it sit for 24 hours, and then test. You would have had a false baseline. It would have picked up all that moisture, and you would believe, and everybody in that project would have believed this moisture is originating from the concrete, not originating from the air. Because they can't pick up that much moisture from the air. Yes, it can. Yeah. If they were they were just taking off the curing compound in that example, and then moisture was accumulating on it, other than uh, just to, I think you explained the solution to this, but. Like in a warehouse, an operating warehouse, you don't want moisture accumulate on the floor. It's a safety hazard that's bad for machines and everything else. So you want to address the moisture, even if you're not going to put anything on top of it. So to fix that problem, you were saying you just keep on polishing or grinding down to fix it? Yeah, because most of the salt will uh, collect at the very top surface of the concrete. Very rarely have I ever seen where you've got warehouse-grade concrete that's pretty dense, where if you grind down more than 16th of an inch, you get any more benefit. So normally, about a 16th of an inch is enough to take off all the accumulated salts that would cause that kind of a problem. Okay. Is that that uh, part of a maintenance plan, too? I don't know. I haven't really looked into that very much. Yeah. Because a polished surface will do that even if you don't have salt accumulation. Moisture will accumulate on the polished surface? Yeah, it can. But that's called slab sweating syndrome or sweating slab syndrome, whichever way you would put it. That's really <laughs> well established. Now, if you want to see good examples of that, if you look online and some of the NBA games, they've actually had to cancel basketball games because what mm-hmm. they'll do is they'll open up a, a, a facility and the air is too warm. And so what happens is the plane surface is too cool. So when these people walk in and they're breathing, they're adding moisture to the environment. And all of a sudden, the courts start getting slippery and the basketball players are slipping. And no matter how many times they try to dry it off, they mop it and put air blowers on it. As soon as they stop, it gets water on it again because that's dew point. Now, that actively happens every time you have a colder surface. So whether it's a parquet floor or concrete, now the concrete will absorb it. So it's harder to get rid of later on. Because mm-hmm. one, of, one of the other mechanisms people don't look at is when water is coming off the concrete, it's evaporating. Right at the line of evaporation, that's the coolest portion of the equation. It's called evaporative cooling effect. That's why we put fans on it. Because when you put fans on it, you can remove that. I call it basically air scrubbing. Because you keep the cooling down, where you actually eliminate it by put, blowing air on it. That's why you can. That's why if you go out on a construction site and there's puddles after rain, if you anywhere you look when there's active wind, let's say it's funneling through between buildings, well that dries out right away. Whereas the other areas where there's dead air, the ponds and the uh, puddles can sit there for hours, maybe even days. Yeah, it's just fundamentals that we're not paying attention to. When you blow the fan across the surface, are you, are you equalizing the the temperature between the the concrete or whatever flooring uh, material it is? That temperature and the air immediately above that surface, you're basically 
equalizing that temperature, right? Well, basically, you're just keeping it from cooling down. When, and if it cools down, it doesn't want to let go of the water. So basically, you're, it, you've got this greedy thing trying to cling onto the water. So what you're doing is you're pulling, it, you're pulling the candy out of its hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's basically it. Just what you want to do is you just want to remove it as, as quickly, as efficiently as possible. And uh, high volume of air doesn't do it. There's really no benefit to it. All you need is air movement. I have found that just a, the traditional floor fans work just fine. You don't need a high-powered fan. Huh. Interesting. I know. So I tell people, you want your best moisture mitigation are floor fans. Yeah. Don't, those are- don't invest in, in, in shot blasting and putting down an epoxy. Invest in floor fans. A lot cheaper. Yeah. Look at the job well, site. I mean, they saved over a million dollars on that job site. Yeah, over it, and over again. And eventually, whatever they shot blast and, and apply to that surface, it's going to fail, right? Because you're not addressing the issue. Yeah, because it, it's not nothing is a permanent fix, whether it's underneath the concrete or on top of the concrete. As long as it's an organic material, it is not permanent. It will wear out. It's just how it is. Mm-hmm. So basically, we're playing kick the can. Okay, well, let it be somebody else's problem later on. We got to stop doing that. Take care yeah. of the issue. Take care of it permanently, and let's go on. Do you we're, know how long it takes for the salts to accumulate and increase the chances of having this moisture issue on the surface of the concrete? Nobody's ever done a study on it, unfortunately, but I have noticed that it, the concrete generally needs to be at least 10 years old before that mm-hmm. becomes a, an issue. But it depends on the water cement ratio of the concrete, how it was finished, the time of year it was placed. It was placed in the summer. It's probably going to be worse because as you heat concrete, also tends to undermine cement development. I know people love it because for job sites, it means the concrete will harden faster so we can get on it faster. The faster you get on concrete in elevated temperatures, the worse it's going to be down the line. That's that's a given. There's information from the 1950s all the way through today that show that as you heat concrete, you basically retard its ability to develop cement. And that that retardation is permanent. Because they showed that in that study where they were, I have this graphic, and I wish I had it on here, but there was this graphic where they're showing 55 degrees, 73, 90 degrees, 105, 120, and on. And they cured the concrete for 28 days. And the warmer it got, the faster and the higher the 28 days numbers got. So it looked really impressive. And it seemed like the dead heat one was 73 degrees, where at uh, 28 days, it hit 100%. At 365 days, it hit 100%. Now, the 365-day designation was really interesting because they took every one of those concrete samples after curing them under those conditions. They put them in a 73-degree environment, 100% relative humidity. And the concrete that's cured, the warmer it was, the less strength it developed over time. So it made it weaker. And was consistent all the way through. Huh. And we do that for convenience. So for convenience, we're basically uh, having the generations behind us inheriting all of our mistakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I know it's, it's a mind blower, isn't it? Well, we are we always like to blame the materials that we use, so rather than blame the way we install concrete, pour concrete on why we're having issues. Let me say something, Seth. The concrete people are getting ambushed as well. And in ways that they are not expecting. There are cement grinding aids that are being used in cement that are is not being they're not informing the concrete producers. They don't have to, which is unfair because the concrete producers have to inform and list the ingredients they give to a customer. If it's not sand, rock, water, and cement, they have to reveal what they put in the concrete. Well, the cement producer is not being required to do that. And that's really ticking me off because some of these cement grinding aids are glycol and amine-based. These may be contributing to some of the problems we're seeing with floors. Because I saw a, a write-up done by Sika. Out of, out of Switzerland and uh -huh. how a cement grinding aid where they were showing these what looked like uh, rust spots showing up on this decorative concrete that were these cement grinding aids reacted with some of the aggregate in the concrete and migrated towards the surface was creating an unsightly surface. Well, if it's doing that to aggregate, what do you think it can do to it? See, and there's, there, see, now that, they said, well, that's how moisture migrates. No, it's different because you're looking at a chemical. A chemical will move and gets more active where it's warm. So they will accumulate in a warm environment. Moisture will not do that. It wants to be driven away from the warm environment. We need to understand these dynamics. So all this crap that we learned about, well, moisture migrates from underside of the concrete and goes to the surface. And then some people will cite the 1965 Brewer study that's been done by the Portland Cement Association. Well, everybody reads the headlines. I read that study in detail, and in the conclusions, it does not say that. There's nowhere in the conclusions does it say that moisture from the underside caused the flooring failure. What it did say is that moisture coming off the surface of the concrete caused the flooring failure. So it's been established. We're just looking past it. We want it to be nice and confusing, and it keeps the attorneys busy, keeps these consultants busy, because, boy, nothing makes money more than conflict. If there's no problems, there's people wouldn't know what to do, Yeah, so, Robert. So if we do this with the concrete people, we do this with the installers, we can get rid of these problems. We have a lot of unhappy attorneys, but I don't care. <laughs> no, we don't. In the first place. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is a good spot to end today. Did we cover everything you wanted to talk about today, Robert? Oh, well, the gist of it, because the uh, yeah, the details of this, yeah, it's it really, when you take a deeper dive, it gets more and more interesting and not only more compelling, but it's extremely difficult to argue against. I would recommend any GCs or flooring folks that are listening and you're having issues, Robert's the guy to talk to. I think he could help you out. I will put everything as far as how to get a hold of Robert in the show notes and because he's been on the podcast before, go to the website and you can click on guests. Robert's got a profile on there. If you go to his, you can listen to all the other episodes that he did, but we've covered this several times. Uh, all of it's been great stuff. Robert, I appreciate you coming back on here and sharing. Uh, until next time, folks, let's keep it concrete. And that concludes another episode of the Concrete Logic Podcast. I hope you got some value out of that episode and learned a thing or two. If you did, 
visit our website, ConcreteLogicPodcast.com. Click on the Show Support tab and learn how you could be listed as a producer of an episode. Again, that's ConcreteLogicPodcast.com. Click on Show Support tab to learn how you can support the show. And as always, Mike Dutton will take us out. Put some diesel in the lights and wait till the trucks roll up. And this ain't how most folks live their lives. Dripping in sweat, working overtime. But while they're tying their ties for their nine to fives, we're out here changing these skylines with wood, iron, and mud. We work hard for a dollar, give thanks to the Lord above. Japan.